Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello and welcome to another episode of Zero Ducks Given. Thank you as ever for listening to all two of our listeners. I'm joined as ever by Mr. Daniel Norcross and Mr. Stephen Finn as well. And just before we started recording, Daniel said to me, I can tell you a wee story and who would I be to pass up such an opportunity? Daniel, what's your wee story? Well, it's it's, it's a weird one because it's only just come back to me. It was a flashback because... I've got to drive to Headingley on Wednesday for the test match because of the trains, unsure about them, you know, where they're going to work, all that kind of thing. And so um, I was emptying a car of stuff because I basically store some things in the boot of my car. Um, I don't know why. I just do things I really don't like. And as I was taking things out, or rather as my wife was taking something out, she she took out the uh, the petrol, you know, the, the spare gallon of petrol thing, the plastic thing, usually red. In my case, it's red that you're supposed to have to put petrol in in case you, you know, whatever. Like a jerry can. Yeah, that kind of thing. You've got it. You've got it. You've got, I'm not very good with cars, Toby. I'm not very manly man. Okay. But, you know, like you know, it's like sensible people take precautions and have these things in the backs of their cars. And yeah, I've got this thing in the back of my car and I've never used it, except on one occasion. This is a cricket-related wee story. Okay. So she took it out and it was slightly sloshy. And she went, Oh God, what's in there? And I I, I had to fess immediately. There was when we would you know, remember when we were doing the bubble test matches and we had to go to like Old Trafford and the Aegeus Bowl in twenty twenty. Mm. Well, we had sort of we were asked by the ECB not if possible to stop at motorway service stations, or if we did and needed to have a wee not to use public uh, lavatories because we were supposed to be in a bubble, right? And stay as far away from other human people as possible, except for your very nearest and dearest in your own bubble. So, What would you do if you needed a ship? Just go in, go in the bushes? 
Yeah, well, that was the idea, I think. Yes. So, well, so it's, it's it's one thing to ask you to go and wee in a bush, but what about like you know you can't ask like Ebony Rainsford Brent. Well, I agree, but you know, they, Alison they, they, Mitchell, these are classy women. You're scum. You you probably yeah. you, you pissed and pooed probably everywhere untoward, but you can't well, ask idea... some of the more classy members of the Sky and BBC team to do that. You're you're you're, you're getting slightly ahead of it because it, it, they didn't really want you to get out of the car at all. So ideally. You see, you don't leave the car. So you contain all of your excretia within the car, right? <laughs> and I'd forgotten to take a piss bottle with me, but I did have the jerry can in the footwell. And I desperately needed a pee. And I stopped at a service station about 100 miles from Manchester. And I found the car park, which had the bit of the car park, which had absolutely no cars in it whatsoever. And I parked up there. And I thought, right, I'm going to have to piss into the um, into the into the jerry can, and you know you've got to slightly manoeuvre yourself up to sort of lift yourself up a little bit, you know, in the seat. And just as I began to release what 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 did feel like a hugely pressurised torrent of of urine into the jerry can, um, a car jam packed with a large family came and parked right next to me in a completely empty car park. <laughs> so, like completely empty. There was there was there was anywhere else they could have been. And they came into the very next bit, right? Like, but the one on the side of the driver's side. Everything about it was dreadful. And I was lifted up slightly in the chair, dangling inside a jerry can, um, offloading uh three and a half hours worth of motorway piss. <laughs> it was absolutely humiliating, but I did that for the good of English cricket. And I've, I've never been put up for any of those awards, you know, like, you know, do you, would you like to nominate someone from your club who's done this, that, and the other for the good of English cricket? I've never had that. No one's ever thought to do that. A lifetime. And I realized today just what I did do for English cricket as mm. I was taking out a two year old sloshy, um, can of jerry can of of elderly piss to be honest i you've lived such a disgusting lifestyle from what i can see over in the you know few years that i've known you that i'd imagine if you had used that piss it's probably like more potent than unleaded you'd probably have you could probably go to scotland and back on about a a teaspoon of your piss i reckon it's probably like rocket fuel that might be the sustainable way forward for the planet you never know there's like, always that one story every be... year in the in the papers. There's always that bloke who claims he drove to like Land's End with a bit of vegetable oil. It's always complete bollocks, of course. But maybe this is this is you the future. In, maybe in my case, it might actually be it. Yeah, I'm still well repulsed be. by it though. I haven't I haven't been able to open the can and, and get rid of it because it's it's so, currently in quarantine in a very in an empty corner of a a room that's about to be um, done up tomorrow by the builder. <laughs> I'll be delighted. I'm It'll thinking I might delighted. be able to just like, yeah, it might just sort of like just get lost in all of his detritus. You know how they bring a lot of crap with them. <laughs> now, I mean, there's, you know, there's something quite uh, beautifully British about that because the jerry can is called the jerry can because it's what they used to call the Germans. So in the Second World War, there it was such a great design that we completely copied it and called it a jerry can. So, you know, my grandfather would be very proud of you for taking a leak in a jerry can at least. Uh, Finney, now I want to ask you about the... Uh, um, your weeing habits you'll be delighted to hear how, how do you feel about a sit-down wee because i'm a i'm a big advocate of the sit-down wee well not in a public toilet or a cricket dressing room toilet because 
you always get your blokes who come in and just piss all over the seat, um, which is disappointing. But at home, especially through the night, it's um, it's sit down wheeze all the way for me. Mm. Yeah, I couldn't agree. More. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree mm. more. I don't think. I, I and it, and that's exactly that actually. I mean, you have to do the stand up we in a in a club, a pub, or a cricket dressing room. Absolutely, definitely. But anywhere else, it's just one of the great. It's one of the great luxuries of life. Actually, I agree. And also, sometimes you get a nice surprise poo. You, you only went for a week, yeah. and then you sit there, and then hello, it's a party. Well, do you know why that is? You know why that is? It's because as you sit down, you actually automatically open one of your two sphincters. That's true. It's yeah. uh, it's why because of the angle that mm. you go into a loo, and uh, and then I'm you're not right. I don't want to be associated with this podcast anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Finny, I'd imagine if you do a five day test match, I'd imagine the toilet in a test changing room can be quite the place by That's by the end it, of day surely. five. Yeah, I mean, it, you do flush, like, and, and people do clean them. But yeah, I mean, cricket dressing rooms in general are grim places. I'd imagine they're worse in league cricket. Some of the blokes have been out, had 10 pints and a kebab the night before and then comes and has his coffee in the morning and all of that flies through him. I'd imagine a, a club cricket dressing room would be far, far worse than a professional cricket dressing room with our breakfasts full of um, healthy fruit and fibre. Mm, I don't know. That stuff sometimes is the worst. But I agree. I've been in some league changing rooms where I'm like, this is... If you scanned, like, you know, like on CSI when they scan a UV light over a, a bed in Las Vegas and it comes up with all sorts. Oh, imagine the things you, that some of those cricket changing rooms have seen. It doesn't bear thinking about, frankly. I used to, I used to have an opening batter with a really good, really good close infielder. And I used to decide whether to have a silly mid-off stroke silly point or short leg, depending on which way the wind was blowing. Because if I could get him and the wind to follow him into the nostrils of the of the opposing batter, that that could get me two or three wickets a match. It's not the quite disgust on the face. Quite Mike really the art of captaincy, is it? But there's a tactic in there somewhere. And do you know what? Actually, that leads me very very nicely onto my first uh, topic of discussion. Actually. It's almost seamless. That was almost professional. So thank you for teeing me up there, Norcross. Because this week, England have taken part in a couple of, frankly, rather pointless one-day internationals against the Netherlands. However, it has looked like an amazing trip for the Barmy Army, if nothing else. It looks like that would be a great trip to go on in the future. So for that reason, I hope that this series continues to happen, despite the fact that I'm not sure the England side have learned too much. They won the first game by 232 runs. They broke a world record in the process, setting a score of 498 for four of 50 overs. And we'll come back to that in a bit because there's some ridiculous scores in there. Um, And then also in the second one, the international as well, they comfortably chased the Netherlands down in about 32 overs after the Netherlands set just under 250. Like I said, I don't know how much we've learned from this other than England is still really bloody good at white ball cricket. The big question everybody's talking about and the art of captaincy is Owen Morgan and the form or lack thereof form of Owen Morgan after he's suffered two ducks at the hands of Netherlands so far. Finney, we've we've waxed lyrical about Morgan's captaincy and nothing's changed there. The bloke's a genius. He carries himself remarkably well. He's a wonderful spokesperson for English cricket. Um, the England team has been ridiculously successful underneath him. He did say about a year and a half ago that if ever he felt that his batting was slowing the team down, that he would step aside, he even talked about doing it just before the World Cup. Um, 
What what do you think about Owen Morgan? Because he he's not in the best form of his life with the bat, but I feel like England we don't they don't need any more runs. And what he offers you as a captain and on the field does that kind of outweigh the batting, or should England be a little bit concerned? Oh, I mean, it's two innings first and foremost. So I mean, let's not get too carried away with two innings. Um, one of them was. He went in at a stage where it was just a slog fest and tried to play a sweep and got out LBW on review. I, it's funny when you talk about form and you talk about things like that, but yeah, I think calling for someone's head two innings into a, uh, a white ball season, maybe uh, even by your standards, Toby, mildly premature. <laughs> the fucking typical English cricket fan. Oh my God, he's I, had two low scores. Get him out. Get rid of him. I, you I should write like for the Daily Mail or the Sun or something. Honestly, I'd like to go bad. on record and say that I am not saying that Owen Morgan should be dropped. I actually am a big Owen Morgan defender. I'm just throwing it out there. There's there's chatter. There's chatter out there, Finney. Well, look, it, I think you got to separate the two different formats: T20 and uh, 50 over cricket. And I think there's actually a bigger case for him to stand down or, I don't know, get some form and see how it goes, leave himself out occasionally from 50 over cricket because it's a longer form in the game and England have got such a ridiculous embarrassment of riches and you'd also need to have a really potent bowling attack because you've got to be able to take wickets in 50 over cricket. In T20 cricket, he's such a masterful T20 tactician and captain. You want him on the field, you know, even if he's out of form. In a, in a shortened game, if he's out of form, it's less of an issue. It's a bit more of an issue in 50-over cricket. But either way, he's not he's not standing down. Either. That'd, be, that'd be nuts. It's not, it's not going to happen. And, unless it was a, like a cataclysmic, disastrous run of form. He's got a bunch of ODIs to play in the summer. And I suppose if he continued to not be able to buy a run, then that would get a bit noisier. But against the Netherlands, and I've got to take a little bit of issue with what you say, is that we didn't learn anything. And that, and that they seem vaguely pointless these games. Think about it from the Netherlands' point of view. We're trying to expand the game. We're trying to get more teams playing. We, we definitely want there to be games in Europe. It's really close. You don't want to have to fly 24 hours every time to go and watch cricket overseas. It'd be bloody brilliant if you could go to Amsterdam every year. Amsterdam and Dublin, you know, lark about. I mean, obviously, we're there to work. Obviously, we are. But they sound like quite nice places to go and hop over and visit. And I think that there's something a little bit weird about this thing, this Amsterdam game, the Netherlands games, is that no one's really going on about how some of their better players were not released by counties. You know, it's a really uneven struggle, isn't it? They're, they're already are not professionalised. They don't have the money. They don't have this, that, the other. And then England come over, the best team in the world, hammer them, and they can't even select their best players. And I understand why, because the counties are paying for their contracts and, you know, the Netherlands are not doing that. But it is a little bit of an issue where club and country are, are, are butting up against each other. If we want to grow the game, I think the counties should perhaps have like let go their Dutch players and let the Netherlands have the, the, the best available team. They might have kept England to 460. Well, I mean, if they had done that, maybe we wouldn't be talking about England's new ridiculous world record. 498 for four or 50 overs. If you had said 15 years ago that this scores like this would be happening, I mean, I know this is a world record and it's freakish, but the game has just completely lost its mind over the last few years. Um, I should point out it's a Netherlands attack that is weakened, as Dan mentioned, and also that it looked like a boundary that even Finney could hit a six on. The boundary was absolutely tiny. I couldn't believe it whenever the camera panned 
and that was the boundary already. It felt like the Barmy Army were at mid-wicket at times. Um, but Phil Salt's amazing start to his one-day international career continued of 122 off 93 balls in that. Uh, David Milan's ridiculous white ball career continued of 125 off 109. But it was the Joss Butler and Liam Livingston show at the end that was really ridiculous. Joss Butler scored 162 off 70 balls. And leaving Liam Livingston scored 66 off 22 balls and was pissed off that he didn't break the world record. Now, worth mentioning, we talked about A.B. de Villiers on this, show, on this show not too long ago, that Josh Butler missed out on the fastest ever one-day international 150 by one ball to A.B. de Villiers. Liam Livingston missed out on the fastest ever ODI 50 by one ball to A.B. de Villiers. <laughs> it puts in perspective how bloody good A.B. de Villiers was. quite was. good, wasn't he, A.B. de Villiers? <laughs> yeah, he was quite good, wasn't he? Fuck. And that was against like the West Indies as well. It was a proper bowling attack, that. Um, Finney, I mean, I think you've pitched, you've timed your career quite well here. You've had, you know, you've, you've, you've made a nice bit of money. You've played a bit of franchise cricket. But I feel like you're, you're going to retire in a few years just when 498 for four becomes quite a normal score in a one-day international. I reckon you've timed this perfectly, mate. Yeah, the game, the game has changed a lot in the last 15 years that I've been playing. Gone are the days when I played for England 10 years ago now in white ball cricket, really, in 2012, where, where we were, I think we got to number one in the world in 2012 by posting 240 or 250 and then defending it comfortably every single game. Um, I think we beat Australia four or five nil in a one-day series that year. Um, and and it was just ridiculous. Yeah, we we posted two forty, and we knew that we would defend it almost every time. Um, but yeah, it's just crazy what these guys are doing now, and slightly daunting. Um, you have to readjust what is the norm for um, your expectations for a bowler. Um, but yeah, four hundred ninety eight off fifty overs is a is a scary, scary proposition. It, it's it's genuinely unrecognisable because even in the time, it used to be always be 250, which was one day international. That was seemed to be like the par score. And in 2020s, when it started, sort of 140, you were like, yeah, 140, that's about your par score. I don't score. think it's fun though. I don't think it's good to watch. watch I, it. It's like watching people hitting on a bowling machine, scoring fight, scoring that many runs. There's no, it, there's, it's just nothing. You're just watching the same thing every single ball. People booming it out the park. It, it is not fun to watch for me. I, I agree. I, Norcross, I'm going to come to you in a second, but I agree. I was watching uh, one of the poor off spinners, I forget who now, bowling for the Netherlands. And it didn't matter where he bowled it. Liam Livingston and Josh Butler could get their hands there. They didn't even need to get it out the middle of the bat. And it, I, was, I was watching this guy bowl and I was like, poor bloke. He is literally, it's basically when they do that range hitting now, where they go out to the square and just try and hit a ball as far as they can. I was like, this guy is basically giving them throw downs and we're just watching them hit the ball wherever. I didn't find it that interesting to watch. I actually do agree with that. Um, now, something like Joe Root's reverse little flick over the slips he played in the test match. Now, that is entertaining viewing. But guys just basically playing baseball. I don't know. Is it that exciting, Dad? Oh, I mean, I think watching people wander into bull rushes in search of cricket balls and coming out with Moses, you know, and, and losing 10 balls in a match. I mean, it's quite absolutely mental, That's 600 pounds worth of balls. Yeah. I, it's a bit, I think it's a bit more than that in the end, actually. I think, I think their balls, it was, it was a thousand euros it cost the, uh, <laughs> the Dutch cricket board. Yeah. I, I, I actually do know what you mean. I'm not going to, I'm not going to be contrary about this. It's when you do like an IPL game at, and Bangalore playing on that road of a pitch and 220 plays 210 and, 
essentially if they don't get a six every over, then it's a surprise is a little bit boring in a way because, you know, when you try to describe the game, what register are you going to reach? Oh, it's another massive six. It doesn't, it, it doesn't float my boat particularly. I like there to be a bit more balance between bat and ball, but I wouldn't say it's completely boring. I mean, 261 the other day at Trent Bridge. That was quite fun. That was yeah, quite I mean, it's fun. Interesting I mean, to watch, but it, it, I don't know. I what are the most skills. interesting and best bollocks? What are the most interesting <laughs> and best periods or passages of play that that have ever been? Or when ball slightly dominates the bat, i.e., a spell of reverse swing, or when the ball's spinning and a batter finds yes. a way of scoring runs against it. That's fun to watch and interesting because there's more skill to it. And, and what the guys are doing is absolutely skillful and it's amazing to watch. But I'm just saying as a bowler, um, I would I would like to see them change the rules slightly to make it a slightly more level playing field. So you can either bounce the ball in because they stop you bouncing the ball in on the wicket now. So you have to keep it on the lush grass. Otherwise you get told off. Um, there's two new balls used at each end in the inning. So the ball just stays hard and keeps the writing on it pretty much the entire time. So it doesn't deteriorate and you don't get reverse swing. Um, and the boundaries are minuscule. Even the other day, it felt like it was a tiny ground and the boundaries were about 15 yards inside the advertising board. So, um, yeah, I think there's more that can be done to help bowlers, but also I'm, I'm biased because I'm a bowler. All of that is fair. Uh, apart from the fact that their laws, not rules. And, uh, well, I would point out. <laughs> For those listening at home, Vinny has just done a hand gesture to Daniel Norcross there. But what I would point out is that the penultimate over of that innings of 498 was absolutely brilliant. Is it Logan Van oh, Brilliant, Rijen. one over. Well, he bowled, he, bowled, he bowled a brilliant over of wide Yorkers are very hard to hit. So, yeah, and how many you know, did he go for off 10 overs? 90? Probably, but he went for seven. That's fair. He went for seven off the 49th <laughs> over. So if you if you just execute your skills, to use the time-worn oh, okay. phrase over and over again, Fine. if you just execute them properly, then it, you could make a better balance between bat and ball. No. The fact is that no. bowlers, bowlers just keep on falling for this, you know, sucker punch trick. You know, I'll, I'll bowl it really full or I'll bowl it really short. And batters are a little bit smarter than that. You've got to be, you've got to be a bit more canny, Finney. You'll be, you no, know, it's, it's an arms race. Because a batter, shut up for a second, because the batter <laughs> can mishit the ball for six. Just a big fat inside edge, outside edge, top edge, whatever, can play a complete and utter miscue and it goes for four or six and they're like, oh, well, that's fun, isn't it? Everyone's laughing and joking in the stands, whereas the bowler has done his job and deceived him. Whereas... If a bowler slightly misses his skill, you get what for six. Yeah, so what do you want to do? Do you want to ban the inside edge or do you want to make bats narrower? What, what do you want to do? No, I want the balls to reverse swing in one-day cricket. Oh, okay. Well, That's we'll all see I what want. We can, do. we can see what we can do about that. I do right. think that... Allow bottle tops. Allow you to take bottle tops out there and just scratch the ball to buggery on one side. Keep it really dry. Take, take a little watch. mini hand dryer with you and you can like on it so it could be really dry and really scuffy is that what you want mm-hmm. i would yeah. love that yeah i, I do think <laughs> you, you should have to middle the ball to hit a six some of the some of those shots now you see the replay and the best thing is on the ipl you know whenever they hit a six they do the slow motion replay and they play that sound effect when the ball hits the bat of like boom 
And then you watch it back and the bloke's fucking towed it and they just put it, do a nice sexy bang sound effect over it. By the way, I forgot that penultimate over was actually brilliant, but who bowled it? I'll get his figures. Who bowled it? Logan Van Beek, I think. Yeah, but, Logan Van, well, Van Beek, well, 10 well, overs, well, 1 for 82. Yeah, what a fucking day out he had, Norcross. <laughs> well, world's, t- world's tiniest violin, right? You take wickets with full tosses and long hops. They don't get expunged on the record. Oh, no. I'm afraid the bowler did not did not execute his skill properly there. You can come back. You are not out. It's. I'm afraid cricket is not fair. I mean, when a bowler's going to realise this, Baz, no, Baz and you want to is... make leg buys to the batter on I the do. bowler's name. Bollocks. <laughs> you're, a, you're an idiot, honestly. You've, you've had it too easy. You claim easy to for... know a lot about cricket, but... You, God, you've had it too easy for too long, Finny. You, you and the bowlers have had it too easy for too long. And then the moment the, moment the batters fight back, I mean, bearing in mind the peril they're under. Look at poor old Owen Morgan. You know, even he could get a decent ball. Pitching on leg, hitting off, you know, first ball, and away he has to go. You call that a batter's game? Pull the other one. <laughs> now, now, I want to uh, I want to come back to uh, somebody who it is nice to see in an England shirt and uh, who added a little bit to the carnage in the second game. Uh, but Moeen Ali, very nice to see him on, on a cricket pitch, enjoying his cricket. And uh, there's talk, there's rumours of him being open to the idea of returning to the England test side as well. Apparently McCullum gave him a call and Mo and Ali said McCullum's a very difficult man to say no to. Interesting that because Mo, you know, at times he has cut a bit of a desolate figure at times in an England test shirt in particular. I don't think he's always necessarily felt completely loved and stuff. Um, Finney, is this sort of a, a good sign? We talked about this recently that our obsession with always planning for the future, but actually... I feel like McCollum and Stokes just want the best 11 guys out on the pitch whenever they can get them. And they don't give a shit if they're 34 or in Jimmy's case, 40. They just know that Moe and Ali's a really good cricketer and the England side's probably better for him. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's the right way to go. I, I completely agree with what Brendan McCollum said when he became coach that there's been too much planning and looking to the future and, and trying to win series that aren't in front of you. And you can forget what's in front of you and, lose your momentum through those. And I think that's part of the reason why England's record has been so bad over the last couple of years is the fact that um, the series that is going on at that time has been a foresight almost um, whilst looking ahead to the ashes. So, um, yeah, I like the concept of getting your best players in. And if they believe Moen Ali is one of the people who can win England test matches, which no doubt he is, um, then it, it wouldn't surprise me if they approach him and, having played under Brendan McCullum and, and knowing what sort of environment he will create in that England dressing room, you'd imagine Moen Ali is the sort of person that would fit seamlessly back into it. And it would be great to see him playing test matches again. Yeah, it certainly wouldn't. It's, and it's sort of a nice sort of reminder of McCullum and Stokes and how that seems to be quite a sexy step, setup to be a part of at the moment. Um, does this mean that this is Darren Stevens' best ever chance of getting an England call-up? If they're going to ignore age and they're just going purely for quality, well, there's no man that's performed better in the county game with bat on board than Darren Stevens now for the last few seasons. Just surely this is it. This is his best ever chance. He is being a bit shit this year, though. <laughs> yeah, well, I have horrible fear he may have just lost half a yard of pace. <laughs> and, <laughs> and this is obviously a concern. I mean, hopefully it's just a minor blip. And uh, he can come back fit and firing at the full 68 miles now that we know and love. Well, uh, yeah, I take, take your he's point. He's 46, but... but according to Crick Info, I'm looking at Darren Stevens, he's, he's a young 46 because he's only 46 for 51 days. So he's got another 310 days until his yeah. next birthday. So 
He's got time to come back. He's got time to go away, work on his game and come back. And actually, with a three-test tour of Pakistan coming, I mean, you can't think of better kind of wickets, really, for mm. a 68-mile-per-hour bowler who relies on spin and uh, swing and a bit of nibble mm. than the flat decks of Lahore, Karachi and Islamabad. Uh, but Mo- Moeen Ali. Wouldn't it be wonderful, genuinely, Darren Stevens in like 45 degree heat being wheeled out to bowl on like a featherbed to like Rizwan and Azam? <laughs> that would be that would be a form of cruelty and punishment that I don't think I would wish on the great man. Go on, Darren, give uh, him hell. But Moeen, as I, I am increasingly convinced he's got to play because the, the England team at the moment, for all of the euphoria and excitement over them, um, smashing 300 on a road and playing really well at Lords uh, lack extreme pace and they lack a wicket-taking spinner, unfortunately. And Moeen Ali has taken 195 test wickets. He's the third most successful England spinner of all time. But you wouldn't know it the, the way people talk about him. They think you know he's an all-rounder who didn't quite achieve. Well, nonsense. He's got a bunch of test hundreds. If he batted at eight below folks, one of the big fears that you got when you watch the England team is that when they're five down, folks has basically got a bat for his life because at that point, you've got eight, nine, 10, 11, and they don't look a very pretty eight times, 10, 11. They're a bit like an elk's diplodocus in the Monty Python sketch, you know, a theory about the diplodocus. It's thin at one end, much, much fatter in the middle, and thin again at the other end. And that is what the England batting lineup looks like. So, Moeen Ali fitting in somewhere in there, whether he's at seven or folks stays at seven and Moeen's at eight or whatever, is such a lovelier looking thing. And he's a left-hander and he gets actual revs and he's got a test hat trick. And for God's sake, we all adore him. I mean, it's just a no-brainer, isn't it? Just for a couple of years. And he's on 195 wickets. And I hate it when people are on the 190s. I hate that. When Jack Hobbs's number of hundreds was upgraded to 199 from 197, I was bloody distraught. It was bad enough he retired 197. In fact, he retired 199 made me virtually suicidal. So, you know, <laughs> don't, don't, don't let this happen again. Get him back in the team. It'll, I reckon it, there's every chance it will happen actually against South Africa. I think Jack Leach will stay in the squad for I the next two will. games. And then I, I think he'll be agree. back in South Africa. The England team is stronger for, for Mo and Ali being in it. Um, now, a couple more things I need to address, actually, before uh, before I let you both go. Uh, first of all, hello to Curtis, who messaged us, who has proudly mm. announced himself as our third listener. So well Ooh. done, everybody. Three. Um, he, he messaged us a couple of weeks ago. We haven't had a chance to get to his message. Um, but he said, good morning, Zero Ducks. I presume you have seen the Somerset Gloucestershire game last night. This was a few weeks ago. I know the main talking point is the incredible comeback, but a special mention has to go to Ryan Higgins. He has an absolutely atrocious barnet. <laughs> and I think we now know the real reason he never gets mentioned when it comes to England. It's not cricket ability. It's that you can't have him representing the country with that. It is too radical to get selected for England. Um, and I said, thank you for bringing this to our attention, Curtis. We may have to discuss this soon. He said, not a problem. Happy to confirm myself as your third listener. Um, which made me think about some of the worst hairdos in cricket history. Um, and I can't work out whether Colin the Grandholm's got the best or worst hair I've ever seen. Have there been any other dodgy barn? Anyone in the England dressing room have a bit of a midlife oh, crisis? At hang one on point, a minute. Finney? Hang on a minute. You've, 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 you've got Sam Curran right now. What is he wearing? 
He's got a Davy Crockett hat on. Like when you look at him straight on, he looks great. Fantastic. You know, relatively short on the top, very short on the sides. And then the camera pans to behind and there's this fucking squirrel hanging out the back of his head. It's absolutely ridiculous. And he's a, he's a great lad. And I think he's got it from his brother. His brother had the top knot. Tom with the top knot. And there's something very tasteless about all haircuts that come from Southern Africa. Colin de Grandom is another one who's from that part of the world. The Currens are from Zimbabwe. I think it's an issue. Nick Maddinson, for my money, is the most... He's made the worst of his hair. Speaking as a man who doesn't have hair, so I'm really angry when people take hair and use it badly, right? It's just like, it's an affront to me. Nick Maddinson, the worst. Sam, I'm afraid, that's got to go. Um... The Grandom, yes, dreadful. But there's a there's a rash of mullets throughout Australia. I mean, Zampa. Zampa's a good-looking lad. Hipster, coffee, all that shit. Then what's he done? He's done this kind of like half mullet. It's, what's going on? Is, I mean, when will it stop? Australians, really Australians are, oh, they love a bloody mullet. Finney, did anyone ever rock up with a dodgy barnet in the England dressing room? Any Anyone particular stand out? Um... I think everyone was pretty normal. I mean, you've got Jimmy's one where he had the red tips on the back. I tried to copy that once and didn't quite go to plan. On my England under 19 trip uh, World Cup, we had a pre-tour to Sri Lanka and then we went to Malaysia. I can't remember if I've told this story before. I or think not. we posted um, a photo of this and it was hideous. Yes. Yeah, it was dreadful. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I attempted the Jimmy Anderson. You had KP had the blonde streak, then the blue streak, didn't he? Then the red streak down the middle of his hair. Yeah. Um, that that was a 2005 Ashes thing. But Kevin Peterson it? as well. The weirdest thing about that blonde streak, wasn't it a streak down the middle and then just one random patch at the back? I, to be honest, I can't remember. I thought it was like a diagonal stripe. Maybe um, it was. But yeah, South African again. One corner to South- the other. South African again. I mean, it's basically it's, it's the Southern Hemisphere mm. is doing the problem, really. Yeah. I mean, I know a few people who should probably just get the bick out and shave it off. Yeah, a few clinging on there. There's a few clinging on there. <laughs> what about, um, do you remember Hamish Marshall? At one point, his hair. It's the Southern Hemisphere, isn't it? Mm. The Southern Hemisphere. Well, the, the first ever um, game of Test cricket that I watched at Lords was England against Pakistan in, like, 1990, I, I can't remember exactly what year, 2001 maybe, but Ryan Sidebottom was playing. It might even have been his test debut. Dan will know what year his test debut was. It wasn't 2001, that was an Ashes year. But okay. yeah, it might have, been, might have been 2004. Right, okay. Anyway, I remember going to Lords and seeing him. And it's when he had his long hair and it was all like poking out the bottom of his helmet. Yeah. He went out there to bat against Pakistan. I think it was Pakistan. And... Um, and yeah, I remember looking at that thinking, Christ, that's a dodgy haircut. It looked like the helmet wasn't fully on his head. But you see, the difference there is that that wasn't a haircut. It was basically that he hadn't cut it. And, and I've got a certain respect for that. A bit like O'Dowd, the, uh, the Dutch player. I mean, my wife, Catherine, was looking at that and she was furious. She was saying, you know, when you watch the women who've got long hair and they, 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 they manage that hair and it comes out in a tidy hole, you know, and like a, like a, like a, a a long line of hair that's that's properly curated, whereas O'Dowd basically looked like a roadie who'd had a helmet stuck on him and had been forced to go out and play a game of cricket. But uh, 
I quite like that in a way. I like that sort of randomicity. What I don't like is curated shitness. I hate curated shitness. And there's too much. The big bash is absolutely full of curated shitness when it comes to hair. And it, it doesn't have to stop. I mean, there's nothing Australia is just stop. full of curated shitness. It's a curated. Yeah, it's a I country agree. full of curated shitness. Look at Perth. Basically a hot Croydon. You're absolutely right. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, we got our title for the podcast sorted. Thank you for that, Daniel. <laughs> uh, well, that leads on quite nicely, actually. There's something else that we need to discuss. That was something that I put up on our social media account the other day at Zero Ducks Pod, by the way, on Twitter and on Instagram. Give us a follow. Um, and because Ben Folk's been playing very, very well in the England side, and I've always admitted that you know I have a bit of a man crush on him since sitting opposite him on the tube once and realising he's even more beautiful in real life than I ever imagined. Um, I asked people for the best-looking cricket team of all time, a team made up of the best-looking cricketers ever. Uh, somebody pointed out that Ben Folk's is essentially the Peter Trago the post Peter Trago is the post watershed version of Ben folks. <laughs> <laughs> Just a really good looking guy, but you, you'd much rather your daughter brought home Ben folks than Peter Trago, wouldn't you? Of his tattoos. And he looks a bit like a, like a bit of a rebel. Um, good news for Finney is that fast bowlers seem to be the best looking cricketers, judging by the responses on Twitter. Uh, lots of fast bowlers mentioned. Nobody mentioned a single spin bowler. Not one spin bowler got mentioned at any point. No, um, I don't know if that's because spin's really unsexy or whether because people that bowl spin are unsexy. I'm not sure. Um, well, fast bowlers featured very heavily, though. We had Andrew Flintoff, Pat Cummins, Shane Bond, Chris Wokes featured a lot. Shakib mm -hmm. Mahmood, who was a handsome Stephen Finn, essentially. Jimmy Anderson, of course. Somebody did mention Stephen Finn. Um, the, the Stevie Wonders Twitter account or someone. I've got no idea. Um, Jason Holder popped up a lot. Uh, Viv Richards, yeah. Fafta Plessy. Very handsome man. Um, Alistair Cook because of the cheekbones. Uh, and somebody just said Virat Kohli's beard. And and just that. Not Virat just Kohli. The beard. Just the beard. Finney, what, it, when you've shared many a dressing room, is there A, somebody that you've shared a dressing room with who you're like, he's, he's, he's a bit hunky, him. He's a nice looking bloke, that guy. Or more importantly, is there somebody who you've shared a dressing room with who definitely thought that they were the most attractive man in the world? I've played with many people who would kiss themselves goodnight in the mirror um, before they go to sleep. Yeah, there's, there's a few of those knocking around in the teams that I've played in over the years. You've got to name no, names, Finney. You've got to get, come on. There must got to be some vain lads in that middle sex dressing room over the years. I'm trying to think who fancies himself a little bit. Ooh. Compo? He's an attractive man. He's got hair, hasn't he? He's an Compo, attractive man. Compo always um, looked after himself, was well-groomed, yeah. Um, well manicured and was looked after his body and stuff. Yeah, Compo, good looking boy. Um, not, not many others. Else, I mean, we were no, we were we were lucky. We had Jimmy Brody, Alistair Cook, good looking man. I, I think we had a pretty good looking team back in the day. A few, a few of them let us down, but you know, <laughs> you did. It actually. was quite a handsome team when you think of it. Actually, yeah, they were they're a very handsome team. But it's but interesting enough, of course, the spinner wasn't. You know, and uh, and and you're dead right. I'm, I was trying to think about attractive spinners, and they they never are, are they? They're grizzled no. and angry looking. Largely, I think, because they're the sort of people who have dreams where you're being chased by a bear and you've got a gun and you fire it and out comes a little sort of paper dart. 
because essentially they, they've got to fight massive bats and small boundaries with something totally pissy like offspin. And as a result, they have to use weirdness and guile, don't they? And that makes them look kind of strange. Laker, Locke, Underwood. Cumbley was quite a handsome man. Cum- yeah. Anil Cumbley, probably. He's, he's, he's spinner sexy. He's not really sexy, but he's for a spinner, sexy, he's quite sexy. Good. I mean, he's Douglas, spinner sexy. Douglas Jardine, by the way, I can't believe everybody's left him out because he is the most handsome man who ever lived. But, you know. They didn't have cameras back then. Nobody they knows had, what he looks like. They had cameras. <laughs> they had cameras. They were very good cameras. They were in high definition, but they, they captured the essential beauty of the man. But yeah, you're right. Uh, there aren't many, though. Um, I wouldn't say South Africa, apart from Faf, has got too much in that direction. Um, no, Dale Stain. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Morkles. Yeah. I mean, the Morkles. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That's what yeah. I think of. John T. Rhodes. Oh, what about, um, nice. what's his name? Markram. Oh, Rabada. Rabada is yeah. a very handsome man. Yeah, he is. And he's also sickeningly good and still quite young. Well, we'll we oh, can come back to this, but feel free to tweet us at Zero Ducks Pod mm. um, or send us a message on Instagram as well. And now finally, the last thing I want to get to before I let you go is a wonderful, wonderful niche cricket record that was set in the Ranji Trophy uh, oh. recently. And I don't know if you've seen this, but it's absolutely wonderful. So there was an opening partnership between Prithvi Shaw and Yashasvi Jaiswal. They put on 66 for the first wicket. Nothing particularly strange about that, you'd probably imagine. The reason it is a record-breaking partnership is because Shaw scored 64 of those 66 runs off 71 balls. And at the other end, Jaiswal scored naught not out off his first 52 deliveries. Wow! It's the highest ever opening partnership where the other player has not scored a single run. 66 runs it was worth, and Jay Swell scored naught off 52. That was his contribution to the opening partnership. He's a bit of a dasher, Jay Swell. Yeah. Top of the order for the Registrar Royals, isn't he? Yeah. Wow, that is This is why we've talked about this on the podcast a lot, that England white ball players that have failed over the years, I'm looking at you, Jason Roy and Alex Hales and James Vince and all these sexy batsmen who can't apply themselves to when the Red Bull comes out. Take a look at what they Ooh. do over in India. You see Sharma do it, you see Rahul do it, and now you see Jaiswal get naught off 52. Um, Finney, you'd be... You'd be getting in his ear after. Once you get to about naught of about 25, surely everybody in the slips, you've got to start reminding him of that fact. I mean, you'd think that one would just automatically find a bit of an outside edge or inside edge for a run somewhere, surely. Well, I've been wondering that my entire career, whether I was um, going to get a little tickle on an outside edge or an inside edge to get me off the mark. Um, but yeah, you know, you, you are acutely aware of it, but also... Um, yeah, you've got a job to do. I mean, I, it's difficult, isn't it? I There are a lot of times where I regretted going out there and just patting it back and being a bit of a sitting duck. And I've said to myself when I've walked off and got out that I should have just had a big swing um, and tried to slog a few because I hate bowling at those guys. But maybe that might be a tougher attitude to take as a, uh, as a top order batter. Can I ask you something? Because obviously you've played at a slightly higher standard than myself and Daniel Norcross, but I'm sure Daniel will, will back me up on this. At the very shit standard of cricket I do play, I still get that absolutely delighted feeling when you get off the mark. That first run is always very, very pleasing. Do you get that at your standard or do you not really think like that? Um, 
No, I mean, one run is probably not something that is overly celebrated, you'd have to say. Um, no, you're getting off the mark in the second innings if you got naught in the first. Now, that is a relief and people <laughs> still clap that. Um, if someone goes in on naught in the second innings about to bag a pair, then everyone's watching on the balcony. Um, if it, if the game's not in the balance, you're sort of half hoping that that person gets a pair so you can take the piss out of them when they come back. Um <laughs> But if it is, then obviously you, you're logging them on to uh, to to go and get that one. I've actually I've bagged a few pairs in first class cricket, um, and there was one at Kent in particular that I remember because I ran myself out in the second inning. So hit one straight to mid on and, and ran. It was as a mood, um, and this would have been in 2009, so like 13 years ago. So. As of a mood, I don't know how old it'd have been, but he wouldn't have been that old. So it wasn't just a guaranteed single. Um, and he just picked the ball up and threw the stumps down. And I was out by about half pitch um, <laughs> and just sort of continued running back to the dressing room. And by the time I got back to the dressing room, Tim Murter had put a Tesco's bag in my place with a pair in it and hung it on my uh, on my peg <laughs> in my spot. Luckily, we went on to win that game. But yeah, you walk in and everyone's quiet because they're sort of, no one knows if you're going to be angry or if you're going to giggle about it. And I was disappointed. So I like got back to my spot, took my helmet off and put my bat in my bag and sort of looked around like ready to be grumpy. And I saw this bag in the spot and it was open. So there was only one handle hanging on it. And I looked inside it and there was the pair and I looked around and everyone was there like, like looking through their hands and then everyone just pissed themselves laughing. <laughs> Imagine doing that to a top order batsman. If you, why do bowlers get picked? Or if you did that to a top order batsman, they'd be fucking fuming. Yes, they would. They would. And they'd be right to be. But, but <laughs> fast bowlers are figures of fun. And since you mentioned that and, and Finney said, well, one run's nothing much to be excited about. Uh, an incredible moment happened actually this week. A Bangladesh number 11 and worst batter of all time, Ebadot Hussain, for the first time in his career, has raised his test batting average above one. We talked um, about him, didn't we, a few months ago? We did. He is the new Chris Martin. He's he yeah, but he's taken like everything in cricket. Cricket just gets better. Like they hit the ball further, they bowl the ball faster, and the number eleven is re- this particular number eleven is even worse than the previous worst number eleven. Eberdot was saying, is I mean I am I think he must be visually impaired. I can't think of any other reason how he can how he can average less than one for his entire and and it's it's not a short career. I mean, get it. If you get his stats up, you will see the the true magnitude of Ebadot Hussein. I'm, I'm about to give you the latest stats because we did go through this a few months ago, but there's been an update, as Norcross he's, says. He's, so he's this is one. magnificent. He's batted 26 times. Okay, 14 not out. So bear in mind, he's got a lot of not outs. 14 not outs. He's got a batting average of one. He's got a total of 12 runs. He's at one boundary, four, and that was in his highest ever score of four. Now, you're probably thinking, God, this guy's a shit batsman, but at least he can bowl. He's taken 31 wickets at 54. So- <laughs> <laughs> and that's actually, that, 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 that is actually because he took 10 wickets in a match quite recently. His, his bowling average was up near 90. He, he had one of the largest disparities between batting and bowling. Well, I think the largest between batting and bowling average for anyone <laughs> played over for 10 test matches. It's, well, uh, he's, he's a man to watch, but his, his bowling's coming on and so is his batting. He's but- reached one. And I think every time he gets a single, he's entitled to raise that bat to the crowd and we will cheer him. 
Right, let's always follow the batting of Eberdot Hussain. He's also got a strike rate of 8.57 in test cricket. So he, he sticks around. He sticks around. <laughs> <laughs> Say what you I like mean, about Eberdot, but he sticks around. Well, he, 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 clearly, he clearly bats for an average of 12 and a half balls, which, you know, <laughs> if he's well managed by a good biffer, that could, you, you could get a 35 run, 40 run, 10 picket partnership with that, yeah. potentially. Um, but, but I just wanted to say before before I sign off, I've got two things to put on the agenda. One is, did you see that tweet about the um, the first wicket partnership, a game that was won by 10 wickets, but a first wicket partnership of 351 for none. And one of the batters, I think, got 223 and the other got 98 not out. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that is that is true bastardiness. And when it was pointed out on Twitter, it said, you know, why didn't he let the guy get to his hundred? And the reply came back quick as a flash. He hates him. <laughs> <laughs> Too bloody right. Isn't, like, isn't it true? The story goes that when um, Alex Tudor got 91, isn't it 99, true? That, 99. Uh, 99, sorry, that Graham yeah. Thorpe didn't want him to get a hundred. He said, I'm not having a bowler score a test century. I, I don't, yeah, I don't think that's true. But, but my understanding of it is that, that, uh, Jude's has said many times that he said just finish the game just finish the game because it was yeah England were at rock bottom at the time and they were playing against New Zealand and they'd had the terrible booze and they'd gone to the bottom of the table and this was quite an important thing for them to actually um, you know win some test matches And but I, you can also imagine it you can also imagine a batter being a bit cheesed off at the idea that some bastard fast bowler can rattle off a hundred in a match winning <laughs> run chase <laughs> and the other thing I, I want to mention because we strangely avoided it except before we started recording is that uh, Surrey have booked their place in the quarterfinals of the T20 in the very very competitive South group by winning 8 out of 9 matches and you know one of my early season picks Sussex very good side Sussex but they've uh, they've struggled of late they've uh, won just a 3 they've lost is it 7 now I think um, they'll need to win their last four to stand a chance of qualification. Net run rate, not too bad, but it's... Uh, and yet they've got all their bowlers back. They've got your, your Rashid Khans, your Timol Millses, and your Stephen Finns. There's a, there's a lot going on down there. They've been chronically unlucky, of course. We talked about that massive collapse of eight for 23 when Finney was trying to chip the ball for two against Gloucestershire and was caught in the deep. But it's, it's all... It's, it's, all, it's not going too well. Finney. Look, all, all that matters Sussex. is that in the Stephen Finn derby, Sussex are just two points behind Middlesex with a better run rate. So that's the that's the next target for Sussex is they've got to finish above Middlesex so that Finney can turn around and see, see say, see what you're missing, Middlesex. This could have been you finishing in sixth place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's been frustrating actually. We're We've missed a couple of important players. Um, I mean, overseas players coming and going hasn't helped um, for the continuity of the team. When they've all come in, they've all done really well. But um, it means that you chop and change the balance of the team. George Garton's struggling with long COVID, so he's only played three or four games. Um, Tamal has played eight out of the ten, so we've been lucky to have him. Luke Wright missed a few games because he's got a bruised fat pad in his heel. So... Um, yeah, there there are a number of things that haven't quite gone our way. And then there are a few times as well where, or two times in particular, um, 
that game against Gloucester where we put ourselves in a wing position and haven't gone through. Um, and then we dragged ourselves back into the game the other night against Glamorgan. They needed 18 off two overs um, and I bowled two bad balls in that over and they both got hit for six and lost the game. So, yeah, we've um, we've we've put ourselves in positions a few times, but yeah, we're at um, crisis time now where we need to win all of our games to even have a chance of going through. But we've got Rashid Khan back and Rizwan for the next few games. So hopefully, um, hopefully they can do something to help us. Just well, it's me, zero ducks derby again on Thursday. Sussex versus Surrey at oh. Hove. You've got to go to that that horrible away ground, that tough away ground, Dan. So uh, oh. I'll be rooting for you, Finney, if nobody else is. Well, I'm actually, I, I don't like to say this because, you know, if Surrey can remain unbeaten for another three days, it'll be their second longest unbeaten run from the start of a season in the history of our venerable club going way back to the 1860s. Uh, we're nearly there. We've got to get to... If, if we want to beat our, our biggest ever record, I think it's 1952, we have to survive until the 13th of July unbeaten, which that is pushing it, but you never know. But another three days will make us the second most unbeaten, it's most invincible side from the ovals that there has ever been. Uh, however, certainly more invincible than the other side that play at the oval. Uh, <laughs> but I, I think I'll be happy to let Sussex get that win because I... I I've got a soft spot for them. They've got they've got the best tactics. They pick the best bowlers, and that's how you should win T20. And actually, the way Surrey have, have won this time so far, the eight games that they've won, they've picked basically three or four batters and a whole bunch of bowlers. So they've got incredible flexibility in their bowling attack, and that's really the uh, the way forward in T20. So I wish well, I'll Finney, be rooting for I you. I wish Finney an amount of luck. There, thank you. There we go. Well, chaps, lovely to see you. We covered quite a lot on that podcast. It's most unlike us. Um, but lovely to see you both and uh, see you next week. And go well this week, Finney. Thank you. Sports Social Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.